Hello, I'm Steve Foreman, known as the Tea Break Knitter on social media. This is my very first podcast, and rather than just rambling on, I thought I'd like to show you my thought processes as I go through preparing and knitting a project. So, for this first podcast, we're going through the planning stages. The project I want to talk about is the Dahani River Vest. I purchased this at the Edinburgh Yarn Festival in 2019. It's a Fair Isle project and I bought it as a kit because I quite like the colour scheme. What I want to talk about in this podcast is how to start reading the pattern to find out the yarn that you need, any tools that I'm going to need and any techniques I'm going to learn for this particular pattern. I also want to talk about how I choose the size I want for the finished product and how I'm doing a gauge swatch for it. So, I've chosen the pattern, now we need to start reading it to find out what we need to know. And the first thing to find out about is the yarn. Well, one easy way is to buy the pattern in a kit with all the yarn that you need for it. Job done, or almost job done. But let's say that I've chosen a pattern and I can't get hold of the recommended yarn, or that I don't like the colours in the recommended yarn and I'd like to use a different set of colours. What do I need to know about the yarn to make a substitution? Well, the first thing is the type of yarn. In the UK, we talk about four-ply yarns, double-knit yarns, iron yarns. Well, this one uses what's known as a four-ply yarn, although actually I think it's only got two plies of wool in it. But it's a UK four-ply weight. And on the ball band, it gives us the gauge that the manufacturers think it will knit up to with a particular size of needle. This information is also held in the Ravelry database, so it's easy to look up other yarns that have got the same, same gauges that you can use. Another thing that's important, because I'm knitting a Fair Isle project, is I want something that's got good stitch definition. There's no point in spending a large amount of time creating all those detailed patterns if what you end up with is all the colours merging into one, not contrasting, being hidden behind a huge fuzz of wool. You want a wool that's going to show up your pattern well. So that means it's got to have reasonably good stitch definition. And skipping ahead, this pattern also calls for you to steek. Now, steeking puts fear into the hearts of a large number of people because you're cutting into all that lovely fabric that you've just made. But it's not as scary as it sounds. And when we come to a later podcast, I'll show you what I do when I'm steaking. But that's looking several podcasts ahead from now. But what you need to know for your wool is you want it to be slightly sticky. So not absolutely smooth and slither everywhere, but it holds together a bit so that when you knit a few stitches, take them off the needle, they still stay there. And it takes a little bit of pulling to, put, to pull them apart. When it's washed, and worn, that means that the wool tends to bind together quite well over time, which stops a steek pulling apart. 
You don't want wool that felts so easily that as soon as you look at it, you've got felt. But you do need wool that clings a bit to itself, just to give that bit of encouragement to the steaks to stay put until the fabric's been worn a bit. So those are some qualitative aspects as well as the quantitative aspects of the type of wool, the gauge it knits to. And you also need to know, obviously, how much weight there is in a ball of wool with the alternative. This original spindrift comes in 25 gram balls and how much length there is on the wall. This one is 105 meters. Your substitute could be something different. But if you're looking to substitute for a different wool and you find a 25 gram ball has got substantially different from 105 meters on it, then you want to start being a little worried it's not going to knit up the same. Because if you get more length, then that wool's either going to be a lot thinner or a lot more open weave, more lofty than the spindrift. So the finished garment won't have the same sort of drape. It won't have the same sort of characteristics as this wool. However, I've got it easy. I'm knitting with recommended wool, bought in a kit, so I should have enough wool and it should knit up quite nicely. The next thing I'm going to look for in the pattern is what tools do I need? Have I got the right needles? In this case, yes. But this, is a, this particular pattern asks for, for you to use two circular needles, a different length with 2.75 millimeter tips, and two circular needles with different lengths with 3.25 millimeter tips. That's not a problem, but the reason you, they ask for two different lengths is because as you knit, it'll get small. As you, as you knit, you'll change the size. As you go up the body and do the steek, you'll get fewer and fewer stitches per row when you come to the armholes. And keeping the same length cable would mean that those stitches will be really stretched out. So in the pattern, it's suggested you change to a shorter cable so those stitches still fit nicely around the cable. I plan to keep using an 80 centimeter cable for this because I knit socks, I knit in the round using the magic loop techniques, magic loop, traveling loop, which means I can get as small as a number of stitches on the needle as I like and still be able to continue on that same needle. If you find that you've got problems with laddering when you do that, you might well want to change to the smaller needles. So I'm quite happy to use just my two circular needles, one with a two, two and three quarter millimeter tip and one with a 3.25 millimeter tip. The larger one's also interchangeable. So if I do need a shorter cable, very easy. But the other thing when you read through the pattern you find is that at some stage we're going to do a three needle bind off. With a three needle, needle bind off, I need three tips. So I need to make sure that I've got another 3.25 millimeter tip available for doing that. Or the alternative, make sure I've got some smaller needle tips that I can transfer the work onto and use one of the 3.25 tips for doing that bind off. 
that I need three needles of similar size for that final bind off. So I just need to make sure I've got those extra set of tips available for when I need them. Pattern also calls for stitch holders. Got plenty of those. And it calls for a coil-free safety pin to hold one stitch. Well, the stitch holders I use are the ones that look like tiny little padlocks. So holding a single stitch is going to be really easy using one of those stitch holders. I don't have one here on the desk in front of me. Later on, in later podcasts, when I'm showing, showing you my knitting, you'll see dozens of those stitch holders lying around the various bits of knitting that I've got. Of course, if you haven't got one of those stitch holders, I'm looking down here because I'm at my desk, there's always a good old paper clip that you can pull out and just use that to hold a stitch. So the last thing I'm going to look at in the pattern are the techniques. What techniques are there in the pattern that I'm going to have to learn? Well, let's start at the very beginning in the cast on. This pattern calls for a German twisted cast on. So I needed to do a bit of an internet search to find out what that is. And I found it's also called the old Norwegian cast on and also a twisted half hitch cast on. So I've done some research, found out how to do that. I've looked it up in the Bible, The Principles of Knitting by June Hyatt, a really good book. It's a little bit heavy, but in doing the decades of research for that book, the author found that the same knitting techniques were called by different names around the world. That should be no surprise. I've already told you two names for the same cast on. And so she's used a naming technique that tries to be independent of those old traditions and describe what you're doing, hence the twisted half hitch cast on. And so on my website, I'm trying to use that independent description of things to try and pull it out or to try to remove the association with different knitting traditions that might confuse some other, some confuse you sometimes a bit like the english continental way description for how you hold the yarn when you're doing a typical knitting it's not particularly english and it's certainly not particularly continental people in continental europe use what's called the english tradition if that's how they were taught taught in their community and in England people use the continental if that's how their community have been taught. So a lot of these names are meaningless in themselves. So in writing this reference book the author tried to come up with some terminology that was fairly straightforward. Another example of the terminology that can cause confusion when I read a pattern, when you read a pattern, is when the pattern refers to the right side. Now, is that the side that's all pretty and looks nice when you finish your knitting? So in stockinette, the one with the nice smooth side, not the ridge side. Or is it the right hand side of the finished product? 
And sometimes patterns are confused in doing that. So the author has decided to use outside and inside to describe the different sides, the different faces of the knitting. But that's a bit of an aside. But you'll find on my, on my website, I'm trying to use the terminology in this book where I can. But I do slip into using the terminology I've learned over the last few years as I've been learning knitting through the internet. Now the other technique that I've used before, but many people are coming to new, is stranded or ferrile knitting. Ferrile is a particular type of stranded knitting. This is where you're knitting with more than one colour in one row and you're alternating so many stitches of one colour then so many stitches of another and it goes right the way round. So both colours are in use all the way round. In Fairisle it's only two, ever two colours per row. Other types of stranded knitting you can use more than two colours. The big advantage of Fairisle knitting is if you're comfortable knitting in the English method and the continental method, method or with the yarn held in the right hand or the yarn held in the left hand, then fair isle, one yarn in one hand, one yarn in the other, and you knit, knit through nicely. Some people keep both yarns in the right hand, some keep both yarns in the left hand. Some will hold one yarn with the other one lying on the table in front of them. When they change colour, they swap over the yarns. It doesn't matter. As long as you get the fabric that you like, you can use any technique you like. But I've used Feral before, so it's not a technique I have had to learn. The other technique that's even more frightening to many people than Feral is steaking. Steaking is where you have your fabric and you just knit round and round and round. So for a sweater, you'd knit round and round and round past the armholes up to the top. And you make the armholes by cutting down that fabric. In a later podcast I'll be talking about the steaks for this particular project and that includes how you stop that those cuts fraying back but if you're using a yarn like a traditional Shetland yarn good Shetland wool those steaks don't need an awful lot of help to stop to stop them fraying they do not fray the yarn holds itself together so well you can make those cuts and the fabric stays as it is. All these techniques are referred to off my website and are linked from, from the show notes for the podcast. So we've gone through the pattern, we've seen the yarn, we've seen the tools, we've seen the techniques. Now the next thing to choose is which particular size in the pattern do I want to make. I'm quite tall, so I, I like my jumpers best to be longer than perhaps the average would be. Otherwise I get a gap in the middle that can get quite cold in winter. I also need to be careful to make them wide enough, we all do, but for Fair Isle it's particularly important because there's not a lot of stretch in Ferrile fabric. So you have to knit to the ease that you want. The, so it has to be big enough to fit with enough space. And in my case, 
I like to have it so I can easily put a shirt on underneath without it being too tight. The easiest way to do this, to find out what, you, what ease you really want, is to look at the final measurement that you're aiming for and to use a jumper or, similar, or the other type of garment that you're knitting that you're really happy with the, the fit of. And if you measure that, then you can say that's the finished size I want to aim for with the garment I'm about to knit. So in this case, several years ago, I, I knit a fair old jumper called Uraga, also sold by Jamison's of Shetland, coincidentally. And that one, it fits. It fits a bit too snugly for me, uh, particularly now I've put a bit, a bit, bit more weight around my tummy. So this one, I want to be probably about a 43 inch chest to compare with a pattern which is a which gives 42 inches or 45 inch chests so 43 inches is about 110 centimeters but as I said the pattern gives me 42 or 45 I know I don't want this to be tight so I'll go I'll make the 45 inch chest so that's going to be about 160, 115, 116 centimetres finished. And the pattern tells me that if I knit the 45 inch chest, I'll get to 24 and a quarter inch length. That's about an inch and a half, two inches. So say four or five centimetres shorter than I would have liked ideally. So I'll, I'll try and aim for a finish size that's a bit longer than that. Now to get that extra length isn't just a case of doing a few extra rows of stockinette because you've got a fair hour pattern and it's not going to work if I just put the extra length in the ribbing at the bottom because then the ribbing will become too prominent. But if you look then those extra five centimeters or so are going to be one pattern repeat of, one, of the major pattern below the one you start at in the in the design so the the design calls you to start off at a particular point in the chart if i started off the pattern the motif below that then i would get about the two inches but all that is dependent on what i'm going to talk about next and that's the gauge a designer has designed this using their own knitting style and knitting standards. They've had knitting testers out, try out the, try out the pattern to make sure it's right. And then publishers also have their little thing in their gauge. They have standard gauges. They, they, the standard person, the average person knits at this gauge in that wool. So the gauge and the pattern is a guideline. That's what they will get, either the designer got, or the test knit has got, or the publishing house thinks you should be able to get. You need to test what you did against that. Now, if you're knitting a scarf, even a cowl, it doesn't matter. But if you're knitting a sweater, or a non-stretchy hat, or anything you're going to wear, or gloves, then it does matter what the gauge is. Because you're either fine, if, 
you'll find that you either got something that's far too big and flops or falls over you, a hat that's always over your eyes, or too small, so a sweater you can't even get over your head. So gauge is important. So we need to do a gauge swatch. And I put some references to how you do a gauge shop swatch on my website, but I'll put the link below this screen as I'm talking. And the gauge swatch has to be big enough to make a judgment. So everyone, everyone talks about a four inch or 10 centimeter gauge. That's what ball bands talk about. That's not quite big enough to do what you want. If you're dealing with a pattern like this Ferrar pattern, there's a rule of thumb that says across a row, you want to have two of those pattern repeats so that the variations in size as you knitting groups of one color together and a small number of stitches, the other cover, all balance out. Particularly important if you've got cables because they pull very differently from the stocking stitch or garter stitch around them. In this one, the pattern itself recommends you do your gauge swatch using the pattern in the chart, which is good because that means that the gauge, the gauge that you get, you can compare directly with the gauge in the pattern to see how things are going to work out. Now, the other thing is that this pattern is knit in the round. That is, you're on circular needle and you just keep going round and round and round and round which means you're always knitting stocking stitch. And your stocking stitch is made only of knit stitches, which is great. Most people prefer just doing knit stitches to purl stitches, but most people find that their gauge in, stock, in knit stitch is different from their gauge in a purl stitch. So why does this matter? Well, if I was to do a gauge swatch just knitting flat, so knit two pattern repeats that to the uh, pattern gauge here in the pattern would actually be a 15 centimeter swatch, which is what you want to aim for, that's uh, six inches. So it's the four inches that you're going to measure the gauge over plus a couple of inches, a couple of two and a half centimeters either side to avoid all those little stretchinesses and unevennesses around the very edge of the knitting that would upset your measurement. So we're going to try and mimic what we're doing when we're knitting in the round, which means I can't knit in one direction and purl in the other to do it flat because the gauge will be different from when I'm just doing knit stitches. So there's a link below to how you can do this. But effectively what you do is you knit effectively one row, your 15 centimeters. And then instead of turning to purl, you slide all your stitches back along the needle so you can start again. But of course the wool is at the wrong end. So you loop that wool loosely along the back and you knit the next row slip it back, loop the row round, the wool round loosely and knit again. So you end up with nice even knitting on the front and a right mess of strands of wool at the back. So when you've knit, knit your gauge swatch, you can then bind it off 
loosely. And all these strands of the bag you cut in the middle, tie them off loosely on the edge to, just to stop them coming totally undone. And then you can handle that gauge swatch. The first thing you want to do is actually measure the gauge as it's come off the needles. So you take a four, four inch or 10 centimeter area, how many stitches there are, because you go across that in a row, and how many rows are there as you go up those 10 centimeters. So that's your off the needles gauge. And you need to make a note of that because that's the gauge that you will see as you're actually knitting. So if as you're knitting and you relax into your knitting and your and your fingers take over from your brain in controlling how the knitting is going to go, if your gauge changes, you'll be able to see how it's changed against the gauge swatch. But that's the first part of the story. And that's a bit of the gauge swatch that you need as you're going through to make sure your project is working out as you actually plan it to work out. The second stage you have to go through is whether your gauge swatch matches the gauge that was in the pattern. And to do that, you need to do a bit of processing. Posh term. So soak it in water, perhaps with a little bit of wool-friendly detergent in there, or soap, for at least 20 minutes. Two hours might be better. And then you bring it out and squeeze it dry to get most of the water out. Don't twist it, don't stretch it. And I then roll it up in a towel and wring, wring the towel so I'm not stretching the wool, but I'm pushing the water out as much as I can. Because I don't want it just to be standing around, sitting around in the air too long, wet, particularly if it's cold weather and that water's going to take a long time to evaporate. So when I've done that, I take it out of the towel, spread it out on a blocking pad, which you could pay a lot of money for, or you could get children's play, play tiles, which are a lot cheaper. Even if you buy them in local shops, they're a lot cheaper than buying knitting blocks. They do the same job, but just lay it out on this, pin it loosely in the, the size it wants to, to be at, and let it dry and see what you get. And that's your finished gauge. That's the gauge that you'll actually get for the finished garment after it's been washed. And that, of course, is what you're interested in, because that's what you're going to wear. So again, you count the number of stitches and rows in this 10 centimeter square, compare that with what's in the pattern. And if it's the same, it's good. If it's different, then you could do a bit of arithmetic to find out whether it's go the garment's going to be bigger or how much bigger and smaller the garment's going to be. And is that what you would like to have? Of course, in my case, remember, I couldn't get the exact size off the pattern. So it might be that my gauge makes it worse and I need to change the size I was going to make or it makes it better and it fits in, 
Or it might be that you decide, well, I need to use, this is just knitting up too tight, I'm going to need to use bigger needles. So then you swatch again with a larger needle size, or it's already too loose. I don't like the fabric, it's too floppy a fabric, it's not dense enough. So in which case, you need to, you, to try swatching again with smaller needles. Of course, that's the other thing. That is not just the size that you're interested in, though that's important. You also want to know whether that fabric feels right, whether it's soft enough, whether it's too airy, whether it's too tight, and the gauge swatch will tell you that as well. So when you've done your gauge swatch, you'll then have this information about how the fabric feels, about the stitch gauge, and about the roaster gauge, that can finalise up your choice of needles and which size in the pattern you want to make. So I'll now cut to a bit of video showing you the gauge start of the gauge swatch and some preliminary conclusions that I'm drawing as I go through that. And when we come back from that, we'll talk about what I'm going to do in the next podcast. I'm four rows into the gauge swatch for the Nahani River Vest. First, I'd like to explain to you what all the various bits of yarn are here. The very first bit, it's the spindrift yarn, the same type, but different colours from the ones I'll be using in the main vest. So on the right, this is the tail of the cast-on yarn. This is the tail of the contrasting colour. And these two are the working yarn. In the middle here, we've got the swatch. Very small at the moment, and of course, it's stocking net, it's curling up. But you, as you can see, and would have guessed from the two colours, this is being knit in the Fair Isle pattern. Fair Isle pattern that's used within the vest. Now this gives me practice at doing that pattern. It also means that my tension will be the same as it will be in the final garment. But to achieve that, I need to imitate circular knitting rather than flat knitting in the gauge swatch. Because if I was to knit this flat, I'd have rows of knit, and I'd have rolls of pearl. And like most other people, my gauge is different if I knit pearl than if I knit a knit stitch. So, the way we do that is you knit as normal from right onto your left needle. And then when you've finished, you slip back again so you're ready to start again moving from left to right needle again and you just drape the working yarn across the back loosely so that it doesn't pull tight and that's what all these loops of yarn at the bottom here are. If I find this gets too complicated and in the way you can just snot, I can just snip them and tie them in a knot on the side and they won't come, come undone. It's, particularly because it's a clingy yarn, which is just as well because the pattern will call for me to steep it later anyway. So, how is it going? Well, I started off with a very, very stretchy cast-on. It's so stretchy, it doesn't actually place any constraints on the swatch, onto the size. And this is the basic standard cast-on. 
I've then done four rows of enough stitches that I get a swatch big enough to measure against. Now you normally measure on a four inch sample of your fabric. Four inches is ten centimetres. Which means if you're going to measure over that amount you have to have a bigger swatch to select the centre portion. And that's particularly important for one of these swatches where you're imitating circular knitting because the stitches around the edge of this type will be particularly different in size from the stitches in the middle. That applies to all swatches. The edge switches are always slightly different from the stitches in the middle, but it's particularly important when you're imitating the circular. So I wanted to make this swatch about six inches wide, that's 15 centimetres. So I used the gauge in the pattern, cast on the appropriate number of stitches to give me something that was going to be six inches wide. In this case it's 48 stitches, which happens to be two pattern repeats. So I'm now following two of the rules of swatch knitting. The first rule is to knit it bigger than the area you want to, me to measure, which I'm doing because I'm making it half as big again. And the second rule is to knit using a stitch pattern representative of the pattern that you'll be using in the finished garment, because that way you'll be knitting something that you can compare. And also you need to do more than one repeat of the stitch pattern because the tension will vary over a stitch pattern. Perhaps not so much over a fair isle style stranded knitting which has short floats but if you're using longer floats or you're using cables then you certainly get the tension varying across the pattern. So you want to have to be able to average that out. And so here I am, I'm four stitches in. How am I going? Well, you won't be able to see see this because the numbers on the ruler are so too small, but if I measure it, it's about eight and a half inches, which is around about twenty one centimetres. Remember I was aiming for something about six inches. I'm not worried about that. And the reason I'm not worried about that is it's all very loose around the cast on. I'm very loose knitting, this is far looser knitting than I normally do, because I've been so worried about the stranding and getting myself going. I would expect in about four or five more rows everything will have tightened up and I'll be knitting close to gauge. We'll see. The final thing I'd like to talk about this swatch is I've prepared myself for having to do a second swatch. And when I've done the two, how can I be sure I know which one is which? What I've done is tied a few knots in the cast-on tail. It's a little difficult to see, so I'll bring it up a bit closer to you. If you look on the end here, I've got one, two, three knots close together. That tells me it's a three millimetre needle, but further on I've got another knot on here one knot separated from the others. So that's three and one quarter, 3.25 millimeter needle. If it was a three and a half needle, I'd have done two knots further up. And if it was 3.75, there would have been three. This is purely so that I can remember which swatch is which if I get more than one swatch. If you're using American sized needles, of course, you just need the one set of 
knots to tell you what size needle it is. Two, six, eight. Of course, you'll have to, if you're using very, very fine needles, once you get to zero, double zeros, you've got a bit more problem, you'll have to work out your system. So, this is my swatch, four rows in. I'll come back later and we'll see how, how I've got and how I am matching up to the gauge. So, we've more or less finished this podcast now. We've talked about how I go through assessing the pattern, what considerations I want to make, about the yarn, the tools, the techniques, the size I want to make it, and how we draw the lessons from the gauge swatch. Now I've got to go off, finish that gauge swatch, and I'll come back in the next podcast to tell you how things have gone. But where I've got at the moment is I think I want to make the 45 inch size, which should work out at about 140 centimeters for the chest. That should give me the ease that I want, because I want to be loose, but not very loose. I'm going to, I think I'm going to need an extra band of motif on the bottom to give me the extra length that I need. And I'm quite happy with the wool. The other thing is that I've done some calculations. I've said, if I put in that extra band, am I going to have enough wool? Well, it's very difficult to tell because this this pattern, although it tells you the amounts of wool it needs for the various different sizes, for several of the colours, there's only one or perhaps two balls of yarn that are used. So how do I know whether it's going to go, I'm going to need more balls of yarn if I increase the size? Well, I could just buy an extra ball of every piece of yarn, but it uses several colours, at least seven colours. So that's a lot of extra yarn to buy if I don't need it. Well, this is where Ravelry came to my rescue. In Ravelry, there's a project page for this particular garment. And you can see how it's worked out for various people. And some people have put more explanation in their project notes than others. And someone called Eve Zana has put quite detailed notes on and one of the things she's made a note of is how much yarn she actually used in her version of the vest. Now it's her version, not mine. It's knitted her size, her gauge. But for the size she knit, she's used appreciably less yarn than is called for in the pattern which tells me that the amounts used in the pattern are only a small part, actually a small part of the ball. You can only buy the wool in lots of 25 grams. So there's no point in telling you that you only use seven grams of one color. Of course, you can't just buy seven grams of one color. So for most of the colors, what that project set of project notes in Ravelry is telling me is there will be plenty of yarn and also for the main colours that I'm using, I've only just started the last ball of yarn in that knitting. So adding the extra level of motif, I should have plenty to go on. And this is famous last words. If I do end up knitting the extra motif, will I be playing yarn chicken? And 
keeping my fingers crossed that I've got enough yarn? Or will I have enough yarn to keep going? There's only one way to find out, and that's to knit the, knit the garment and suck it and see. So, what am I going to do in the next podcast? Well, first thing, as I'm going to finish have finished the, the gauge swatch, so I'll know what gauge I'm getting. So rather than talking, I might need this, I might need that, I'll be able to say, this is what I'm intending to do. So once I've decided what I'm going to do, I'll then be casting on. And there's a couple of things I'd like to talk about in doing that cast on. Obviously, I'll be showing you the cast on technique itself, but the cast on also I'm going to be casting on for knitting in the round. So there's the techniques there to help me join in the round and not end up with a twisted cast on, which can be really annoying, particularly for a project that you've cast on over 300 stitches. So next time I'll be telling you about what I've learned on the swatch and we'll be talking about the cast on. So until then, that's it from me. Happy knitting.